If you've got your Bible with you today, please go ahead and open to Galatians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. Galatians chapter 6. And um, I, I want to say as we get going here, how much I appreciate my friend Jason French for being here and speaking last week. Did you enjoy him being here last week? Yeah. I, uh, uh, I truly appreciate it. If you weren't able to, to listen to that sermon or watch it, you can go to our website or our Facebook page and you can watch or listen to it um, um, there. But I would encourage you to do so. He gave a very powerful challenge about the church being the church. And he said, being the church by caring for one another and being there for each other. And wasn't that a powerful testimony, those of you that heard it, of a personal testimony he shared about how a fire almost wiped them out. Do you remember? And it was not their pagan friends that came. It was who? It was the church that came. It was a church that came and was there and cared for them and loved on them and, and, and provided for them. And he said it was that moment that changed the trajectory of their entire family. It put them on a course for following Jesus. Now, Jason didn't know it at the time, and neither did I, quite, quite frankly, when I asked him to speak. But his sermon last week, I think, is a great segue into the final chapter of Galatians, the final chapter today of our Just Jesus series. Because by the time we get to Galatians chapter 6, where we are today, Paul is going to put a call out for the church to be the church. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, this very important verse in the Bible. You want to read it with me? Let's read it together. It's on the screen. It says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do not grow weary. That word weary, I'm wondering, as a Christian, do you ever get weary of trying to do the right thing all the time as a follower of Christ? Do you ever get weary? Do you ever become weary trying to do the Lord's work? Do you ever get weary looking at the way our society has drifted far from God and kind of throw up your hands and say, I'm so tired of this. Now, the word weary and the word tired, well, those are two different things. Weary and tired are not the same. Tired is, man, it's been a long day. I am beat. I got to go to bed. But I know a good night's sleep will cure that. That's tired. Weary is something altogether different. See, this word weary is also translated in other parts of the Bible as being discouraged. It also means losing heart, giving up. You ever known somebody just throw their hands up and say, I give up? I just feel like throw it in the towel. Maybe you felt that way before. You see, because that is weary. So let me ask you that question again. As a Christian, do you ever get weary of trying to do the right thing? Trying to live for God every single day. Do you ever feel discouraged when it comes to the Lord's work? Do you ever feel like just simply giving up when you look at the culture? When you see things like we just prayed for this morning, throwing your hands up and saying things like, what's the use? It's not going to change anything. That's weary. No one's going to notice our efforts. Are we really making a dent in the world? That's weariness. This, this world has grown so far from God. I'm so tired of trying to set it straight. That's weary. And let me just say this. As a Christian, it is easy to become weary. And I think that's one of the reasons Paul made this charge, this, this passion, encouraging charge. Say, do not become weary. I think it would be... Couple, um, it'd be easy 
for a Christian to have that same kind of mentality. You might recall a couple sermons ago, I told you a story about a young man I'd met in Kansas City when I used to be a pastor up in that city, and I poured a lot of time into his life. We spent a lot of time together, and how exciting it was when he finally said, I'm ready to follow Jesus. He came from a very dysfunctional um, situation, he's like, I'm turning my heart over to Jesus, and we did a big celebration when he got baptized. Everything looked good, until it wasn't anymore. Today, unfortunately, as I shared with you a couple weeks ago, his eyes are not focused on the Lord. His lifestyle is absolutely the complete opposite of what the Lord would want for him. So Paul says, don't let yourselves get weary because it's easy when those things happen to throw your hands up and say, what's the use? It's just gonna happen again. Why invest all this time? Why trying to be this way? It's easy to get weary, and Paul's telling these Christians, and I think he's telling us too, do not get weary in doing good. So the question is, why was Paul compelled to include this at the end of his letter? Right in Galatia, why, why did he feel it's important to challenge these Christians to not be weary? Well, if you recall, he wrote this letter to begin with because these Christians spread out in these churches across the province of Galatia, they were turning to a different gospel. Some false teachers had come in, twisted up the truth, distorted everything, and they were following a whole different set of belief system. Jesus was still a part of that belief system, but you also had to follow a bunch of rules that were all coming under the heading of the Old Covenant Law. So if you want to be a good Christian, if you want the Lord to look down from heaven and say, you're doing a good job, I approve of you, then you've got to believe in Jesus and you've got to make sure you're circumcised. You've got to believe in Jesus and make sure you only eat these kind of foods, not those kind of foods. You've got to believe in Jesus, but you also have to celebrate these special days that have nothing to do with those other days. You've got to believe in Jesus and you've got to make your annual sacrifices and pay these taxes and on and on and on. It was Jesus was not enough under this distorted gospel. Jesus plus something else made you saved. And Paul is like, no, 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 no. This was a, a big distortion of the gospel. And as we read the first four chapters of Galatians, Paul is saying, let's get right with our doctrine. It's just Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. And then we moved into chapter five, and he's like, let's get right with the Lord, and let's walk by the Spirit. So one through four is get right with our doctrine. Chapter five, let's get right with the Lord. And now we come to chapter six, and he's like, let's get right with each other. It's time for the church to be the church. And Paul is going to challenge them to not grow weary in this pursuit. Not grow weary. So what I'd like for us to do, I'd like for us to read together the first 10 verses of Galatians. If you got your Bible, go ahead and look down. Let's read them. And as I, as I read them to you, I want you to kind of reflect and I want you to think about some things. Ask this question as we read. Do these next 10 verses ring true in my life? Do these next 10 verses accurately describe the New Life Christian Church family? Let's do some reflecting. Let's think through this as we read. Let me begin reading, and, and you start asking those questions. He starts out by saying, brothers and sisters, so immediately we know he's still talking to the church here. My brothers and sisters, my fellow Christians, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, 
or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instructions in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. How are you doing? How are we doing? As I read these 10 verses, I believe that what Paul is doing for the Galatians is what he's doing for us. He is highlighting what I'm just going to call three responsibilities that we have as followers of Christ. And the first responsibility is this. We are absolutely, as brothers and sisters in Christ, responsible for others. Now just let that sink in for a minute. We are responsible for others. Now look at verse 1 again. What's he say? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That sounds a lot like we have a responsibility for others. Now, let's be very clear about something. Paul is not talking about evangelism when he wrote this. This is not an evangelistic text, if you will. He is not referring to people who don't know Christ yet who we're trying to reach. That's not who he's talking about. He's talking specifically about a brother, sister in Christ who is caught in a sin or caught up in sin. Perhaps he is thinking about these Christians who, who are, have been reverting back to this false gospel, to these rules and regulation, this legalistic faith. And he's referring to people like that, saying, you who are spiritual, you have a responsibility to them. It is our responsibility to a brother and sister in Christ who is caught up in a wrong way or caught up in sin. Now just think about that, and I want to let you let that sink in for a minute. You have a responsibility for other people in this room. Other people in your life group, you absolutely have a responsibility to them in Christ. So do we have a responsibility? The answer is yes, we do. Now, what Paul is not saying is that it is not our job to hover over people, looking over their shoulder, and at the second they do something wrong, we're like, ha ha, I gotcha. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we should meddle in people's business nor micromanage their brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not saying that at all. The thrust is this, though, that there is responsibility to one another. He says, if someone's caught in sin, you who are spiritual, who live by the Spirit, should do something about it. He says, you should be about the work of restoration. And now there are some questions that come up when we read that and when we think about it and consider it. One of those questions, at least that goes through my brain, is like, how bad's the sin got to be before I do something about it? 
That's a hard question to answer because we grade things, don't we? Well, that's worse than this and blah, blah, blah. Maybe another question is, what makes me think that I'm so good that I have the right to interject my voice in what's going on in their lives? That's a real thing. That's a real thing. You know what, if I step in, if I believe that this brother or sister in Christ is caught up in some kind of sin and I step in, they might reject me completely. They want to, what makes them think I'm, they're going to listen to me? There's all kinds of things that go through our minds. Maybe we go, eh, that will, that, I think that will just resolve itself. I believe that the idea behind what Paul is saying is that if a brother or sister in Christ gets caught up in a sin or gets caught up in sin and there is refusal to acknowledge, refusal to deal with it, refusal to do anything about it, then we have a responsibility to help. Now maybe there, maybe there, there's a sin there and, and there's ignorance involved. Like, I didn't know the Bible said I can't do that. Or maybe the sin has been ongoing so much that there's been a callousness built up in their heart, a blindness that came over them, and they're absolutely insensitive now to the Spirit's leading in their life. Well, whatever the reason is, those who are spiritual, living by the, 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 the Spirit, walking in step, like Paul talked about in chapter 5, we've got to do whatever it takes to win that brother or sister back. We have a responsibility in this church to not allow sin to reign. We have that responsibility. And since the church is not a building, it's a people, that means we absolutely have a responsibility for one another. Let, let me share with you a more practical example so you know what I'm talking about. When I was in Bible college, um, I had a job also off campus at a youth home. This youth home was a 24-hour facility where, where children who, who, for whatever reason, had trouble in their own home, they would come and live at this this facility. There was a school there. Um, it was a pretty big organization, and um, I loved that job. It was very difficult, but I loved it because we actually felt like we were helping these kids work through a lot of these troubling things in their life. There was a lot of Christians that lived there, or that, excuse me, that worked there, and so I really enjoyed that. There was a guy that worked there that became a friend of mine. His name was Barry, and uh, Barry and I used to have all kinds of spiritual conversations. We talk about what's going on in the church, and we discuss Bible together. He was, he was a Christian, but one thing, the longer I got to know Barry, the longer I worked there, I realized something about Barry. He had absolutely no problem telling lies. It was an honesty problem. I see him lie about this, and you might classify that. Oh, that's just a little white lie. That's not a big deal. And I see him lie about this, and it started to bug me a little bit. One day, we're sitting in the office. It's me and Barry and our boss, and the phone rings. And so Barry answers the phone, and the person on the other end was trying to get a hold of our boss who was in the room, and our boss did one of these things. Not here. I'm not, I don't want to take that call. I'm not here. We've all been in that situation before, right? So I'm thinking Barry's going to say, he's not available. Can I take a message? But that's not what Barry said. Barry goes, oh, I'm sorry. You just missed him. In fact, I'm looking out the window, and I see him driving out the driveway right now. In fact, you know what? He, I think he said he's leaving for the day. Can I take a message? I'm like, What? I wonder how many of us right now would say, what's the big deal? The, the big deal is it's a lie. It's dishonest. You, you don't have to look very hard in the Bible to find out. I mean, this is not a gray area. It's one of the Ten Commandments, so it's a biggie, right? Thou shalt not what? Lie. 
And I wish that I had been man enough, I wish I'd have been mature enough at that time to maybe pull him aside one-on-one and say, Barry, I'm seeing something that's inconsistent in your life. We're having all these spiritual conversations, but I also see that you have no problem lying. Maybe I would have taken him to Proverbs chapter 6. Are you familiar with that proverb that talks about there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are absolutely detestable to him? You might not be familiar with this. The Bible actually lists seven things that the Lord finds detestable. Did you know that three out of the seven things that the Lord finds detestable in Proverbs 6 has to do with the misuse of your tongue? It's not a gray area. I wish I'd have been mature enough to just pull him aside and to say, Barry, we got a problem here. Because as I've reflected on that, it has bugged me for a long time. Because I had a responsibility to my brother in Christ to try to restore that which what I felt was heading down the wrong path. I love how Kenny Bowles, he was a longtime professor at Ozark Christian College, written a lot of books. He wrote a devotional commentary on the book of Galatians, and he writes this. He says, we don't secretly gloat when a brother is caught in a sin. Mature Christians rush to his aid. I think he is dead on. Our position, our job is not to stand on the sidelines and go, aha! No. Those who are spiritual, they rush to their aid. And I failed Barry for not confronting him on that. It wasn't my sin, but I do consider it my failure for not holding him accountable. It was my failure for not rushing to his aid. Verse 1, let's be very clear, is not a shame on you. It's a, you stumbled, let me help you get back on your feet. Remember, Paul is dealing with a group of Christians who had what? They had sinned incredibly. They turned their back on the good news. They needed themselves to be restored. And the book of Galatians, in and of itself, is a rebuke. It is a confrontation. It's Paul confronting the Galatians about their sin and trying to hold them accountable. Somebody who is spiritual trying to rush to their aid and pull them back to restore. Now, I'm guessing here, I don't know this to be true, I'm guessing, but by the time we get to chapter 6, which is right at the end of the letter, Paul might be making the assumption that these people in reading this letter have already started to turn their hearts back to Jesus. They're far from God. They get this letter. The church reads it, and there's conviction. And I think what Paul is assuming here is that they're coming under conviction by the very reading of this letter, this rebuke, this challenge. And he's like saying, from now on, we've got our doctrine right. We're going to walk with the Spirit. I want to set a new tone in the church. We have got to be the church. And from this point on, we are going to be there for one another so this kind of thing never happens again. And if there are still some brothers and sisters in Christ who are not following the true gospel, those of you who are, you have a responsibility to them and you need to go and restore them. I'll tell you, that this is a part of the church that I think probably is a big growth area for many of us. The church word for this is accountability. Can I ask you a question? Is there anybody in your life that you would consider to be an older, wiser, more mature Christian? They don't necessarily even have to be older, but just a more mature, wiser Christian. 
that can say to you some things that you need to hear, can confront you on some things that you need to be confronted on because they love you and they want you to walk with Jesus to the best of your ability. Is there somebody in your life that holds you accountable to your decision to follow Jesus? I think back of Barry. What would have happened if I'd have been that guy for him? Well, he could have completely blown me off and told me to go jump in a lake, and that's true. But he could have also been very receptive. He could have also been very much, you know what, you're right. I've got this bad habit. I don't even think about it anymore. And I know you're right. That's not what God wants. I'm called to something better than that. Thank you for pulling me back in. You might argue, well, telling a few little lies and fibs. This is where we've kind of grown as a culture and a church sometimes. Ah, oh, telling a lie, that doesn't mean he's going to hell. What's the big deal? Well, you're right. By the grace of God, we are saved. And if it wasn't for God's grace, we'd all be on a fast track to hell, wouldn't we? But I do know this to be a fact that any Christian who repeatedly tells lies, or let me, let's substitute that, any Christian who repeatedly sins without any conviction about it is in need of restoration. It's not a judgmental thing to say. It's a factual thing to say. Any Christian, anyone claiming to follow Christ who repeatedly sins and has lost any conviction about it, they are in need of restoration. And Galatians 6.1 very much applies. How does it say we're supposed to respond to that? There's a very important word that sometimes we lose sight of as Christians. That word is gently. Gently. See, the natural response is to come with a sledgehammer, right? You're wrong. I'm here to restore. Now, this is not the posture of restoration. I think gently means I love you. Let's get this thing worked out. So it's not coming with a sledgehammer, it's coming with open arms. That's the heart of what Paul is saying here. It's with, with open arms, we're going to be gentle. This word that gets translated as gentle in Galatians 6, it's translated elsewhere as the word used, humble, with meekness. That's what this means. So it's not a sledgehammer, you're not coming at him to slap him around. You're coming at him to embrace him and say, listen, we can be better than this. Restore. He goes on to say in the very next verse, what's he say? Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. See, these Christians were following a different law, the old covenant law, one that was wrapped up in legalism. And Paul's like, I'm going to tell you another kind of law. It's a law of Christ. That's a law that we walk in the Spirit, and in that way, we carry each other's burdens. Many of them have been yoked in slavery. Paul's like, God's going to free you from that. We're going to follow a different kind of law, the law of Christ, law of grace, law of love. And, and the law that's lived by the Spirit. And listen again. Let me take you back to something Kenny Bull said in that same uh, devotional commentary about this whole idea of carrying each other's burdens and restoring gently. He says this, the way of the flesh is every man for himself. Which is true, right? We experience that every day, right? People we work with. The way of the flesh, people who are driven by their desires of the flesh, then it's every man for himself. But the way of the Spirit how a Christian should be is mutual assistance in reaching our heavenly goal. 
Sometimes life hands the weary traveler such a heavy burden that he staggers beneath the load. I think some of us can relate to that. Man, life has got me tripped up. I stumbled. That's what Kenny is saying. Sometimes life trips us up along the way. And then he says, fellow Christians are not to stand around and rebuke his weakness, but to pitch in and help. It probably won't be long before the favor will need to be returned. The, and listen real closely to what he says. I think it's so profound. That's why I'm reading it to you. He said, the reciprocal nature of carrying each other's burdens implies that those who are weak and those who are strong often switch places. Carry each other's burdens. And in doing so, we fulfill the law of Jesus Christ. So yes, to answer your question, there is a responsibility that every single one of us who, are, who have professed faith in Christ, we have a responsibility to others in this church family. We do. But Paul also says there's another kind of responsibility that we have. We do also have a responsibility for ourselves. Now look at verse 3. What's he say to the church? He says, If anyone thinks that they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So we have a responsibility to carry each other's burdens, but not to neglect our own load that we have to carry ourselves. Honest evaluation, I think, should be a requirement in anyone's life who wants to live well for the Lord. Think some evaluation. And how you do that is different for every person. But do you ever take an inventory of where you are with Jesus? Just your spiritual walk. Thinking through questions like, am I operating in every circumstance with proper motives? That's, that's a very powerful question that if you take it seriously, should probably be asked. Maybe another question. Am I walking through each day humbly trying to walk with the Spirit? And understand what that means. Paul says, test yourself. Test your own actions. I tell you, I, I've been out of school for a long time, but I remember well what it was like to take a test. I never enjoyed tests. Did anybody enjoy tests in school? Some of you probably enjoy that. I, I don't particularly enjoy being tested. And I've often wondered, what, uh, what's the purpose of a test? I remember as a teenager going, why are we doing this? What's the purpose of this? I come here every day. I sit and I listen. Why do I got to take a test? Now, there's two reasons why teachers give tests. Well, one, a test will affirm what you've learned. Test also highlights what you still need to learn. That's what a test does. Somebody after first service said, there's a third thing a test does. I said, what's that? Let you know if the teacher's any good. <laughs> I thought, oh. I said, I, I don't know about that. But it tells me what I've learned, and a test tells me what I still need to learn. Paul says, take a test. What do you know? And where do you still need to grow? If there's any time during the week that is a really good place to do this, it's when we are gathered in this place and we take communion. I don't know what goes through your mind as you've got the bread and you've got the juice, but here's what the Bible says, that a man ought to examine himself before he takes the bread and drinks of the cup. Now, I think that goes on all week long. 
But it can also happen right in that moment. And there's no other time for self-evaluation or taking this test. Maybe right there. And you say, Lord, before I eat this bread, I drink this cup. Is there any wayward way in me? Right there as you hold the bread, which represents the very body of Christ who died on the cross for your sins, and holding the cup, which is symbolic of the blood that he shed on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. What an incredible moment to do some self-evaluation. Am I actually walking with you every step of the way? And if the Lord in that moment highlights to you some wayward way, that's when you crucify that. You say, Lord, I am so sorry that I've sinned against you and I ask for your forgiveness and you commune with God in purity. Evaluation. So we are responsible for ourselves. Third responsibility I see in these first 10 verses of chapter 6 is this. We are responsible for our future. So we have some responsibility for others, for ourselves. There's some responsibility, Paul says, in where this church goes and where you go in the future. Look at verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There's a very interesting phrase here in verse 7 that Paul says. It says, God cannot be mocked. What in the world does that mean? I think what he's trying to imply here is that uh, uh, don't stick your nose up to God because he won't be fooled. You can try to pretend, but God's not going to be mocked. He sees the heart. You're going to reap what you sow. And if you reap uh, according to your sinful desire, you're going to produce a harvest of destruction. But if you reap according to your spiritual nature, you will reap a harvest of good things that goes to the reward of eternal life. Can I tell you a story before we're done? When I was a kid, I grew up, uh, part of my growing up years was out in Portland, Oregon. And when I was fifth, sixth grade, maybe seventh, I can't remember, it's right in that age, I was really pretty young, my father decided that it was time to, to reseed our lawn. We'd had some issues with it. And, uh, and so he worked really hard to get the yard ready. We had this really small front yard and this massive, huge backyard. So my dad went out and bought grass seed. He'd done all the prep work to get the yard ready. And so he delegated to my brother and I the responsibility of spreading the grass seed in the yard uh, so that it could grow. That's not a hard job. It's something that even I, as a young kid, could handle. He was not home, and my brother and I went out to do our jobs. Really, it was kind of exciting. We'd never done anything like that. Um, and so we took all the seed, and we began to spread it out. And we got done with the front yard and made a discovery. We had put all the seed for the front and the backyard on the front yard. So when my father comes home to check our progress, we said, Dad, we're out of seed. And he goes, what do you mean you're out of seed? I got, a, I got more than enough for everything. And I said, Dad, we, we put it all in the front yard, this very small front yard. And if you've ever done that, it's not like you can sweep it up once it's down. That would be punishment to try to do that. My dad wasn't 
massively angry, annoyed that he had to go out and buy more grass seed, and we finished up the yard, but what are you going to do? Then it rained, and then it grew, and I'm going to tell you something. When that grass came in, we had the best front yard in Portland, Oregon. I'm telling you, this grass was so thick and green and lush, you naturally would want to kick your shoes and socks off, roll up your pants, and walk through it. It was that amazing. We had to mow it every other day, but it was that amazing. So one day, we're standing out in this beautiful front yard. Our shoes are off. My dad is out there. My brother and I are out there, and we're admiring our work. We were admiring this front yard that was the envy of the neighborhood. And we're like, Dad, isn't this awesome, this front yard? And my dad's like, yeah, it's pretty good. Then my brother, who's 18 months older than me, he said something that was profound. It was prophetic. I couldn't even believe it came out of his mouth, even to this day. He said, well, it's like the good book says. You reap what you sow. Every time I read Galatians 6, I'm standing in the front yard of our home in Portland, Oregon, reminded of this incredible truth. You do reap what you sow. In that particular instance, we sowed good seed in a lot of it, and we reaped an incredible yard. Spiritually, if you sow seed into this world completely out of your sinful desire, you will reap destruction. But if you sow seed according to your spiritual nature, where you're walking with God, you're walking in step with the Spirit, you will reap a reward. And so Paul challenges us, do not grow weary. Because in the end, you will reap a reward. So he says in verse 10, do good to all people, but especially those who belong to the family of believers. Do good to everybody, but especially to those that are sitting in your row. Do good to everybody, especially those who are in your life group. Do good to everybody. But you sow seeds into those who are part of the family of God. This is Paul's charge to the church. And do not grow weary in doing it. 